You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. Good to see all of you here at Highland this morning. We welcome you, especially if you're from out of town. We're in the second half of the book of Judges, a series that we started just last Sunday morning. And we're calling this series The Conquerors and kind of the subtitle to that for us to hold on to today and, and, and this week and this semester, maybe even hold on to the rest of the days of our lives, is that all of us will either be conquered by life, maybe even this week, or we'll be conquerors in life through the power of God. That, that's kind of the tension that we live in, and really it's, it's a choice in so many ways in our lives as sons and daughters of God, that we're either going to be conquered by things in life this week, things that we know are coming or things that are completely unplanned, or we will learn because of God's power, because of God's sovereignty, because of the grace of Christ, because of he who loves us, we can be more than conquerors in Christ. Before you turn to Judges chapter 9, that's where we're going to be this morning. Now, some of you are turning already. That's why I said before you turn, before you turn to Judges chapter 9, let me give you a little context. Otherwise, I'll be talking and you'll be looking and then you'll get there and you'll have no idea what the context is. So here's the context. Gideon, the great judge, has died. And he has 70 sons. So needless to say, he had a lot of wives. So he had 70 sons. And one of the sons, by the name of Abimelech, he desires to be king. In fact, he is bloodthirsty to be king. He kills his 70 brothers. He kills the 70 sons of Gideon. Abimelech is one of the sons of Gideon. He kills them in one day, one place, on one stone. It wasn't really a a slaughter. It was a sacrifice. And then he calls for the people of Shechem, the town that he is from, to name him as king, to make him king. There is one brother, however, who escapes. His name is Jotham. And He's the youngest of the 70 brothers. And he runs to the top of a hill, it's Mount Gerizim, and he yells back to his brother Abimelech. He yells back to the people of Shechem. And he says, you need to listen to me. God will will hear from you and God will speak to you, but you must listen to what I say to you. Now, with context, go to Judges chapter nine with me, please. And let's pick up young Jotham, who actually, by all intents and purposes, becomes a prophet becomes a voice piece of God. Let's go to Judges chapter nine and let's go to verse seven together. Judges chapter nine, verse seven. This is the the verse we dropped off on last week. We stopped right here. The young prophet begins to speak. And as you turn there, let me just tell you what he's about to say is a parable. In fact, it's the very first parable of the Bible. What is a parable? You may ask, the parable is a story given in a local context that has a higher meaning. It's a story that uses a lot of natural, everyday things to explain deeply spiritual, highly spiritual things. And so the very first, bio, very first parable in all the Bible is about to be uttered by this young prophet, the youngest son of Gideon, the youngest brother of Abimelech. It says here in verse seven, when it was told to Jotham what had happened, the, the, the massacre of his brothers, Abimelech being made king, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and he cried aloud and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And then verse eight, he begins with the parable. But let me, let me give you a little inside coder key, a little code ring to, to what's happening. The people of Israel are the trees. Okay, so the trees we see here in the parable, they are the the people of Israel, maybe even more specifically, the people of Shechem. So here comes the parable in verse verse eight. So the trees, the people of Israel, specifically people of Shechem, 
they once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, hey, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, hey, you come and reign over us. You come and be our king. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you're anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Let me give you the the bottom line to this parable, then we'll unpack it just a little bit. Here it is. When the godly won't lead, the godless will do so gladly. When godly women and godly men will not step up to the plate and lead, the godless will joyfully take that position. We see here in this parable, Bible still open. Verse nine, the people of Israel, the people of Shechem, the trees, they go to the olive tree first in verse nine. But the olive tree says, I have, I have so much going on. I already have enough. There's an abundance in my life. They go to the fig tree in verse 11. The fig tree says, I'm already productive. I'm already at work and and things are good. I'm living the sweet life. Go to the vine in verse 13. The vine says, I have this joy-filled life right now. It's a happy time for me and I'm, I'm making happiness for others. I'm providing a lot of things for a lot of people. So they go to the bramble. Now, bramble may not mean much to you, but if you have the NIV this morning, you know what bramble is. The NIV renders this word, the thorn bushes. In Hebrew, it's the word atad, and it means useless. If you're from Texas, it means a mesquite tree, right? Just useless and, and worthless altogether. So they go to the bramble, they go to this, this useless, worthless thorn bush, and they said, hey, there's, you know, would you reign over us? Everybody else said no. And of course, the bramble, the thorn bush, the useless, worthless, says, yes, I'll be glad to be your king. I'm in on this. Kind of reminds me, kind of a sub point I wrote down to pass on to you is that people, even God's people, will often follow worthless leadership. Now, here the people of, of Shechem, the people of God, the people of Israel, the people of the covenant, the people who are promised. And all of a sudden, Abimelech comes before them and he is made king. They make him king and they kind of bow down to this, this worthless, useless, self centered, killing leader. People, even God's people, often will follow worthless leadership. Now, listen, just because she is in your political party and just because he was elected does not make them worthwhile leaders to follow. Just because a TV preacher stands in front of an audience of 10,000 people and has 100,000 social media followers on Insta does not make him or her an incredible spiritual leader worth following all throughout the scriptures and throughout Christian history, followers of Christ, we have found ourselves way too often following worthless leadership. And Jotham is reminding the people of Shechem what is to come. And so here's why I call this young man a prophet. Let's continue to let him tell us what this parable means. Judges chapter nine, look at verse 16 with me. Now, therefore, verse 16, if you acted in good faith, and integrity when you made Abimelech king. And if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and you might remember from last week, in his house, 
and you've done to him as the deeds deserve. Remember, this is Jotham, who is the son of Gideon. For my father, he's speaking of Gideon here, for my father, he fought for you, and he risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. And you have risen up against my father's house this day, and you have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone. And you've made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he's your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Gideon, with Jerubbabel, and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Be'er. Now the Calvinists like to call that beer, but it's actually Be'er. And he lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. So Jotham is reminding the people of Shechem right here of this truth. Here's what Jotham is saying to the people of Shechem. And listen, Highland, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to his people Today, So what I'm about to share with you, either write down or absorb deeply within your heart. Sin, rebellion, and addictions are so pleasurable in the short term. And this is what's happening with Abimelech. His sin, his, his rebellion against God, his addiction for power, his addiction to be the king, it is so pleasurable to him right now in this short term. You know, if rebellion against God was miserable from minute one, we would never rebel. If addictions were, were miserable from minute number one, we would never be addicted to anything. And yet we see here in the short term, sin and rebellion and addictions, they are so pleasurable. But here's the second part of that, but they will always turn on you. Listen to everyone younger than I am, and I'll let you determine if you think you're younger than I am or not. It will always turn on you. Every time, every time, every time, sin and rebellion and addictions are so pleasurable for the short season that they'll turn on you. And when they turn, they're out to kill. And when, when they turn, they're out to, to wipe out your testimony. And when they turn on you, they're there to wipe out your marriage and your healthy relationships. Sin and addiction, rebellion are so pleasurable in the short term, but they will always turn on you every time. And I hope by that one statement on the screen behind me, I might save 30 or 40 or 50 people in this house this morning from a lifetime of hurt by knowing that sin is always pleasurable in the short season. And then it turns to wipe you out. Watch these things turn on Abimelech. Judges chapter nine, look at verse 22. So Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. His, here is his short season of pleasure. Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the violence done to the 70 sons of Gideon might come and the blood that be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against Abimelech on the mountaintop and they robbed all who passed by them along the way. But that got back to Abimelech into verse 25. Let me just make this statement. Evil never has cohesion. Here's an evil king and evil people. And for a while, they're in unity. For a while, they're comrades. For a while, they're in the same huddle. 
but evil never has cohesion. And what I'm about to tell you next has an incredible impact on whether this week and this semester and the rest of this year and the rest of this life, you will find yourself either as a conqueror in life by the power of God or being conquered by life. And it's a short statement and it's found all throughout scripture. And mom and dad, I bet you've given this statement to your students before, to your children before. But here's the statement I want you to see. And this has incredible impact on the way that we live our life. And here it is. We reap what we sow. Did you hear that holy groan just then when I said that? <laughs> People who are groaning and going, yep, I've, I've been there. I've sown things and I've reaped things. We reap what we sow. Now, let me just say this. I hope you hear this grace this morning. If right now you're on the backside of a bad decision, you made a bad decision this weekend, you made a bad decision this last week, you made a bad decision this semester, a bad decision this summer, I am not saying this phrase to you, we reap what we sow, to sound harsh against you this morning or even to, for you to feel any condemnation at all. So if you're on the backside of a bad decision, you already know you've made a bad decision. You are reaping right now what you have sown. The reason I am saying this phrase straight from scripture, we reap what we sow, is because everyone in this house, we're on the front side of a bad decision. Everybody's on the front side of a bad decision. And as we make decisions today, this week, who we will be, who we will follow. It is important for us to know that all the way back, this is 3,200 years ago, there was already this picture of reaping what we sow. In fact, this is such a grace from God that Paul told this exact same phrase, this exact same thought, led by the Spirit to the church of Galatia. You see it on the screen behind me, Galatians chapter six. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Friends, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. It's true for Abimelech. Let's continue on here. Look at Judges chapter nine. Look at verse 26. We're just going down the story. And Gaal, so here's a new guy on the scene. He's the son of Ebed. He moved into Shechem now and all of his relatives, all of his people, his posse. And the leaders of Shechem, they put confidence now in him. Remember just, just a few verses earlier, they put their confidence in, in Abimelech and now they've turned against Abimelech find this new person who's also worthless and puts their confidence in him. Verse 27, and they went out into the field and they gathered the grapes from their vineyards and they trod them and held a festival and they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. The same pagan God that Abimelech had worshiped had taken money from that same pagan temple to pay for his people, to pay for his gang, his posse. They're doing the exact same thing now. And, and did you see this? And now the smear campaign begins. Now the whispering campaign begins, which you might remember from chapter nine, verse two, is the same way that Abimelech began his candidacy, by whispering into the ears of his mother's relatives that he needed to be the king. So we pick it up right here in verse, verse 28. They begin to revile Abimelech, and Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, and this is a great question, how about this for, for, for politics? Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem? Remember, we, now he's a part of them. Who are we of Shechem? that we should serve him, we should serve Abimelech? Is he not the son of, of Gideon and is not Zabul, who is kind of the mayor of Shechem? Is that not his officer? Let's serve the men of Hamor. So this is Gaal, Gaal is from the people of Hamor. So 
he's kind of doing this self-centered uh, campaign. Now let's serve the men of Hamor, who was the father of Shechem. But why should we serve Abimelech? And now look how it turns very quickly here in, in verse 29. Would that this people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech and I would say to Abimelech, he's about to bow up here, increase your army and come on out. So now Abimelech has not only the people of Shechem against them, there's a new leader in Shechem who's also pushing against Abimelech. What's happening? He is reaping what he's been sowing. But it's also true not only from Abimelech, but also for the people of Shechem. So let's skip a little bit of this and jump down to verse 39. So now we reap what we sow. It's true for the people of Shechem. Go to Judges chapter 9, verse 39 with me. You can go back and read the, the middle part in a little bit, but I'm kind of picking up the rest of the narrative here. And Gaal, he went out to the head of the leaders of Shechem, and he fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded upon the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech, who lived in Aruma, and, and Zebul, who drove out Gaal and his relatives so they could not dwell anymore at Shechem. Everybody's just, there's chaos everywhere here. Verse 39, 40, 41, look at verse 42. And on the following day, the people went out into the field. And Abimelech was told, a spy came to him. And he took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and he saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose up against them and he killed them. And Abimelech and the company that was with him, they rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them all. Here, here, here's reaping or sowing, which you're reaping, reaping which you're sowing for the people of Shechem. Shechem. And Abimelech fought against the city all day. He captured the city. He killed the people who were in it. He demolished the city. He raised the city and he sowed it with salt which quite literally means he threw salt into that city. It was a sign in Middle Eastern times of hatred, of bitterness, and what it did is it killed the crops and made it to the point that life would never be there again. In fact, history tells us that Shechem would be destroyed for the next 200 years until King Jeroboam I comes and rebuilds the city of Shechem. There is something overarching in Judges chapter nine, Highland, that we've got to see this morning. Remember, we've talked before about the upper story and the lower story. The lower story is, is the narrative. It's the geography. It's the people. It's the places. It's the battles. It's the mountains. It's the interaction. It's the conversation. But there's an upper story. This is the story of, of God, of God's redemption, of God's word to, to God's people, which makes God's word truth-filled for all people at all times. Here's the upper story. You might want to write this down, even the margins of Judges chapter 9. If your Bible is open and you have a pen, you can write this down. Here's the overarching upper story right here. God's word will never return empty. It always accomplishes its purposes. God's word never comes back empty. It never comes back void. It will always accomplish its purposes. Remember the young prophet, young Jotham, the youngest of Gideon's 70 sons? Remember back in verse 20 when he stood up and he kind of gave the explanation, if you will, of that parable saying eventually Abimelech's gonna turn against Shechem and the city of Shechem's gonna turn against Abimelech. That young prophet had said that. The voice of God to God's people had said that word. Now look at the rest of the story. Judges chapter nine, let's pick it up in, in verse 50. So then Abimelech went to Thebes and it camped around Thebes and he captured it. 
But there was a strong tower within the city. And all the men and all the women and all the leaders of the city, they fled into that tower and they shut themselves in and they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it. He drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. You go, girl. (laughs) Did you see what's happening in this story? All these people are fleeing up into this tower, the men, the women, the leaders, the the military. And and an upper millstone, you might know this, there's a lower millstone, an upper millstone. A lower millstone is the one that stays stationary. The upper millstone is that round cylinder piece of, 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 of rock that you would circle over the olives. And so that's the upper millstone. It weighs hundreds of pounds. So it's not you go girl, it's you go mama because she grabbed that stone and she hung it over the, the tower, the edge of that tower, the precipice of that tower. And I don't know if like in a previous life, she was a bomb dropper or whatever that was, but she, she kind of angled it just right. And the Bible says this, he drew near to the front of the tower and she's looking and she lets go, bombs away. And it hits him in the skull and it crushes his skull. But he ain't dead. So the story's not over. This millstone crashes into his head Look at verse 54. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed me. (laughs) And I love that there's gonna be 3,000 people at Highland this morning being reminded that a woman killed Abimelech. He was so anxious about that. He was like, please just draw it near. I don't want anybody in Waco knowing that a woman actually killed me. So draw your sword and kill me. Lest they say of me, a woman killed me. And this young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, I love this part. Everyone just went home. Okay, battle's over. (laughs) The evil king is dead. Let's just, I don't know. Let's just go back home. Thus God. Wow. Thus God. Return the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came, don't forget this name, the curse of the youngest brother, that young prophet who spoke in a parable, Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. God's word had been made clear through his young prophet, Jotham, And that word did not return void. God's word always accomplishes its purposes. So let's look here very quickly at chapter nine. Here's who King Abimelech is. King Abimelech was the king who put his people into bondage and allowed his people to fall under the curse. That's the king of of chapter nine. The guy who was so bloodthirsty for the crown who so desperately wanted to have power, to be in control, to be in rebellion against God, that on one day on one stone killed his 70 brothers and enjoyed that short pleasure for three years of being the king. And then it began to turn on him. Here's the king who put his people into bondage and allowed his people to fall under the curse. But somewhere in Judges chapter nine, there's a greater king, the whispers of a greater king. And this king would be King Jesus the king who removes his people from bondage and takes away the curse by going to the cross. Highland, this morning, we fix our eyes on Jesus. 
And let me correct some theology that we kind of throw out there every now and then. Let me lovingly correct. It is not that Jesus died for our sins. It's that Jesus became our sin, was crucified, that we could become the righteousness of God. This morning, we can see in the bloodthirsty nature of King Abimelech, one who did not care for his people, one that longed for power. And in King Jesus, we see one who cares for everyone here today in this house, one who in humility desired above everything else to honor and to obey his father. And you and I this morning, as sons and daughters of God, we are the beneficiaries of a king who became a curse so that we could be free from the bondage of slavery, slavery to our own sin. That is a king worth loving. That is a king worth following. And that is a king who has given us this grace worth worshiping for all the days of our lives. Would you stand with me please and let's pray together. Father, thank you for the grace of your word today that has spoken to us. We thank you for the story because it is truth for all people at all times. God, we receive that this morning. We're reminded of the incredible, amazing grace of Jesus where we find freedom from the chains of the curse. We pray today for King Jesus who has given us the promise to be more than conquerors through him who loves us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a leader worth following. And we pledge all of our allegiance, all of our passions today to you. We thank you for this grace by which we even stand today because of the amazing grace of this King Jesus who freed us from our bondage by going to his cross that we could live in freedom and joy and peace and in right standing with God forever. It's through that way maker that we joyfully pray. Amen.